Hi everyone, and welcome to my sauntering podcast. My name is Paul White, and I live in a gorgeous place called Weymouth. And this podcast is a collection of saunters that were born in lockdown, but it's also got some additional stuff which is just fresh, hot off the press. praying that you'll be really blessed and that God will speak into your heart as we take this journey together. So please go ahead and hit the subscribe button to keep updated with the very latest Sauntering Podcasts. Good morning dear Sauntering Buddies and welcome to another chapter of Genesis. We're in chapter 42 today. Let's pray and we'll take it from there. So, Lord, we love you. Thank you for this new year. Thank you for all the plans that you have for us this year, plans to prosper us and not to harm us, to give us a hope and a future. And Lord, we want to see our hope and future today, tomorrow, the next day unfolding as we journey with you through this year. So bless us, Lord, and we thank you. Amen. So here we go, Genesis chapter 42, and this is a significant turning point in the history of the nation of Israel. Good morning, Rosemary. Nice to see you. So it says, when Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you look at each other? Why are you looking? Why do you look at one another? And he said, behold, I've heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt Go down and buy grain for us there, that we may live and not die. So ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Good morning, Fran and Mary. Uh, so this is this is a really interesting little development. This famine has hit the nation, the land of Canaan, where Jacob is with his sons, and there, and he's looking at them and saying, "Guys, why are you standing around looking at each other, dithering around? There is grain in Egypt. Go and buy some. Otherwise, we're all going to die of starvation." And so. I don't know whether they were slightly apprehensive about Egypt and felt a little bit shifty about going there, having sent their having sold their brother into slavery and knew that he was kind of that was the where he probably met his demise and kind of like his life came to an untimely end or what. But they were kind of not getting on with it. Jacob saying, come on, guys, let's get moving Get, get a shift on and get down to Egypt. We need to get some grain. Otherwise, we're all going to die and it'll be a disaster. So, um, it, but the interesting thing is that Jacob doesn't send Benjamin down. Benjamin, if you remember, is the other son of his beloved wife, Rachel. Rachel is the one that he really wanted to marry in the first place. He ended up with Leah. Then he ended up with two servants as well, who became his kind of other wives. And so he had four wives. 
And the one he really loved was Rachel, and she was the one who seemed unable to bear children until right at the end she had Joseph, and then as she died she gave birth to another whose name was Benjamin. And so, but here's the thing, and this is a really, really, really important point I want to make. Jacob didn't send Benjamin down to Egypt with his brothers. And listen to what it says. For he feared that harm might happen to him. Now, Jacob has been shaped and his expectations of life have been shaped by the trauma of losing Joseph, his beloved son, the one who he made the special cloak for. He's, his heart has been damaged. His expectations of God are reduced. He no longer believes that God will take care of him and his children properly because God has let one into the back of the net, it seems. God has let him down or somehow failed him. God has not been um, up to his expectations. And so his heart is traumatised, his mind is traumatised, his expectations are that this disaster could get worse and he could end up not just losing his beloved son, Joseph, but also Benjamin. And then he would have no sons left by his beloved wife, um, Rachel. And so thus the sons of Israel came to buy. So it was just the 12 brothers came. Uh, sorry, the 10 brothers rather, sorry. So thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came for the famine was in the land of Canaan. So other people from other nationalities and other people groups all began to converge on Egypt to buy grain because they'd heard of the plenty that was still there because of one person. And that was the anointed servant of God, Joseph. Good morning, Jonathan. Good to see you, bro. Now, Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. So it all, all this great quantity, reservoir, reserves of grain were funneled through the discretion of Joseph. And he was the nozzle, if you like, that allowed all of this provision to be made available to the other needy people who came. And so Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph saw his brothers and recognised them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from? He said. They said from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognised his brothers, but they did not recognise him. I suppose the last person in the whole world that they expected to run into when they approached the courts of Pharaoh, good morning Jill, would have been their brother Joseph. The last they saw of him was his beaten and bedraggled body in chains or ropes walking behind a Midianite camel train looking so dejected and so broken that he, this guy standing in front of them is a complete, he's a prince, he's dressed in robes, he's powerful, he's majestic, he's fully grown, he was a boy when he went into Egypt, now he's a proper man, and he's got dignity and stature and confidence, and absolutely a complete transformation, and so they don't recognise him. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them. So in this very moment, his dreams are beginning to come true. You remember he had the dream of his brothers coming and bowing down at his feet. 
And here it is actually happening in real time. And verse nine, it says, and Joseph remembered the dreams that he dreamed of them. And he said to them, you're spies. You have come to see the nakedness or the vulnerability of the land. And they said to him, no, my Lord, your servants have come here to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Can you imagine what that sounded like to Joseph? We are honest men. They'd gone back to their father after their after they sold Joseph into slavery. And they said they brought his cloak and they dipped it in some animal blood. And they said, oh, you know, <coughs> he's probably been torn by wild animals. You know, they they sold their dad a complete pack of lies. And now here they are in front of Joseph saying, no, we're honest men. Good morning, Chris and Ruth. We're honest men. And I'm sure he must have had a little kind of snigger up his sleeve and thinking, yeah, right. So he says, we're honest men. Your servants have never been spies. Well, I don't suppose they've ever been spies. So they're telling a partial truth, aren't they? But they're still um, being dishonest, disingenuous about their own actual, the state of their own hearts because they are far from honest. Anyway, so Joseph, it seems, when I was a kid, I used to look, listen to these stories and get a bit annoyed with Joseph and think, why is he dragging this whole palaver out? Why doesn't he just say, hey, it's me, I'm Joseph. Why doesn't he just come kind of come clean straight away with them? But I think we, we need to understand something that's going on here. Joseph is has been so badly wronged by these guys on a natural level we can understand why he might want to drag out this moment and maybe somehow inflict revenge or something on these guys but actually what Joseph's doing is not that at all he's using the anointing of wisdom and he's drawing out what's actually in his brother's hearts and he's allowing them to look in the mirror and see themselves for who they really are. And this is just absolute genius. As we read it through, we see Joseph deploying this incredible anointing of wisdom that God had given him. And so he he stalls them and he says, you're spies. He's testing them. He's getting them on the defensive. And, and they say, no, 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 honestly, we're honest men, you know, honestly, <laughs> honestly. Uh, <laughs> Then verse 12, he said to them, no, it is the nakedness of the land you've come to see. So what he's saying is you've come to spot our weaknesses so that you can kind of form some, build up some attack on us while we're broken and vulnerable. And he says, no, it's the nakedness of the land that you've come to see. And, and they said, we, your servants, are 12 brothers, the sons of one man. Well, that's interesting that they're saying we are 12 brothers. They're actually counting Joseph in, <laughs> although they he, he's missing, presumed dead. Oh, my. So they said, we, are your, we, your servants, are 12 brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is no more. So there we are. So they're saying, actually, we come from a family of 12. One is at home with dad. One is no more. Um, but Joseph said to them, it is as I said to you, you are spies. By this you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh you shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. 
send one of you and let him bring your brother while you remain confined that your words may be tested whether there is truth in you or else by the life of Pharaoh surely you are spies and he put them all together in custody for three days now I think the three days obviously is interesting in the context of Jesus in the tomb for three days but um this is probably more what's going on here he is he's testing them and stretching them to see just where whether or not there's any degree of repentance and any degree of um a kind of soberness about these guys after these years having brought so much misery on his father but also on Joseph himself and actually Joseph, if you remember, Joseph's been in prison for years and he was not, it wasn't, <laughs> there was no mercy in this imprisonment until Joseph gets the job of running the prison. But there's, he's showing mercy to his brothers, actually. He could, he's not going for revenge at all. If he was going for revenge, he could have thrown him in jail, thrown away the key and just left him there. And that would have been completely at his discretion. He had absolute power in the land he could have done that but he just does it for three days and on the third day Joseph said to them do this and you will live for I fear God he's saying I'm not even in that statement it's a beautiful statement he's he's giving them a real massive clue and he's saying listen I fear God I'm not gonna get I'm not gonna hurt you guys unnecessarily or unjustifiedly um here's your Get a jail card, if you like. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody and let the rest go. Carry grain for the family um, for the famine of your household and bring your youngest brother to me. So your words will be verified and you will you shall not die. And they did so. And they said to one another, in truth, we are guilty concerning our brother. Listen to this. This is Joseph's plan working. Verse 21. They said to one another, in truth, we are guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. So now the process that Joseph is looking for is working and they're having this conversation among themselves and they're saying, we brought this on ourselves. This is our fault. This is justice. Well, what can we expect? We didn't have mercy on our brother when we sold him. We saw that he was upset. I mean, I'm sure he was pleading with them to have mercy and yet they didn't and they just sent him off. We were guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered, did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. They understand divine justice, that there is blood required from those who shed blood, innocent blood. They did not know that Joseph understood them, for there was an interpreter between them. And then he turned away from them and wept, and he returned to them and spoke to them. And he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. So they're having this 
conference, this family conference together. Good morning, Clive. I mean, this family conference and they're, they're saying, oh, this is our own fault. Ruben's saying, yes, it is. And I told you, I warned you at the time that this was a bad thing. Now his blood is being demanded from us by God. God is coming after us for vengeance. And they're kind of feeling terrible about it. But of course, Joseph is listening in. He's earwigging in on this family conference and listening to these brothers to and fro in. And he understands exactly what they're saying. But because he's been treating them as outsiders, he's had an official interpreter there all the time. And so they've fallen for the kind of ruse that he actually has no clue what they're talking about. And and here they are. But of course, Joseph is listening in and thinking, wow, something is going on in the hearts of my brothers. Maybe they're coming to repentance over their sins against me. And Joseph gave orders, verse 25, to fill their bags with grain and to replace every man's money in his sack and to give them provisions for the journey. This was done for them. So he's not only told the servants to fill the sacks up with grain, but he's actually said, right, and put the money they've paid back in the tops of their sacks. Then they loaded their donkeys with their grain and departed. And as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey fodder at the lodging place. So on the way home, they're about to feed donkey some of the grain that they've just paid for and collected. And he saw his money in the mouth of the sack. He said to his brothers, my money has been put back. It is here it is in the mouth of my sack. At this, their hearts failed them and they turned trembling to one another, saying, what is this that God has done to us? This is so interesting. So Joseph, his heart is being moved. He's full of forgiveness. He just wants to bide his time and let the process that he's um, kind of employing work. He wants to see his brothers fully restored, but he wants to help them on their journey. He's doing therapy with them if they did but know it. But he can't resist blessing them and he wants to bless them. And so he gets their money and puts it back in their sacks. And as the sacks are tied up and put on the donkeys, they have no idea that the money's back in there. And until they stop en route and suddenly. But here's this incredible thing. When our hearts are full of shame, we can't identify a blessing as a blessing. We suspect that something is afoot. We suspect that there's something good about to go wrong. God gives us a blessing and yet we can't identify it. We can't recognize it as a blessing. And we start to imagine that there's going to be problems attached to it because things always go wrong for us because our hearts are full of shame. These guys, their hearts are full of shame. They've just had such a graphic reminder of their their dirty tricks to their brother and and now they're heading back with this grain and they're thinking about Simeon who they've left behind how they're going to present the story to their dad oh and what their dad's going to say when they ask if they can take Benjamin with them and then suddenly there's this money in the top of their sacks and they're like no oh this is too bad 
This is worse than anything. And they say, what is this that God has done to us? And they can see there's this sense in their hearts that this is bigger than them. This is bigger than them and Joseph. This is God getting involved. And there's this sense that somehow (laughs) what's happening here is the unfolding of a plan is way bigger than them. It's so interesting. But here's the thing. When our hearts are full of shame, we can't receive God's blessing properly. We can't enjoy God's blessing. So we need to get our hearts fixed, get our shame taken away, bring that to the cross of Jesus and let him take away our shame so that we can enjoy his blessings. We can receive them joyfully and not be worried that something worse is going to happen to us in a minute. And so when they came to Jacob, their father in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them, saying, the man, the Lord of the land spoke roughly to us and took us to be spies of the land. But we said to him, we're honest men. We've never been spies. We're 12 brothers, sons of our father. One is no more. And the youngest is this day with our father in the land of Canaan. Then the man, the Lord of the land said to us, by this, I shall know that you're honest men. Leave one of your brothers with me and take the grain for the famine of your households and go your way. Bring your youngest brother to me. Then I shall know that you're not spies, but honest men. And I will deliver your brother to you and you shall trade in the land. So so they've gone back to Jacob, their dad, with this awful story. Simeon is now a hostage and the price for his freedom is to take Benjamin with them. Now to do this, Jacob has to cross this most difficult barrier of all, which is to climb over the great big obstacle his fear has put in front of him because of the trauma of his heart and actually step out and trust God again. And that is the last thing he wants to do with his precious son, Benjamin. But they're saying, you know, this is the only way, Dad. There's no other way we're going to get this grain. But if we do, the, the Lord of the land said we can come and we can trade here. Good morning, Deepak and Pat and Mike. And so obviously Jacob's not, um, Joseph is not just offering them grain, but he's saying you can trade. You can be, you know, you can come here as bring in something into our city as well. Verse 35, as he emptied their sacks, behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they and their father saw their, because they'd only opened one sack so far and found the money, and now they found it in every sack. And when they and their father saw their bundles of money, they were afraid. And Jacob, their father, said to them, you have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And now you would take Benjamin. All this has come against me. So Jacob has really taken on this very, very sad, broken, depressed worldview where he believes everything is against him. All this is against me. But he's also leveling the charge at the brothers. You have done this. You've taken away my son, even though he doesn't know that they've traded Joseph, their brother, as a slave, that he's still so upset and he's blaming them. And he's saying, you've done this to me. You've taken away. You've bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And now you would take Benjamin.
Wow. Heartbreak. One of the ways to most hurt a parent is to do something to their children, isn't it? And one of the ways the devil, well, the, probably the only way the devil can hurt God is to put his hand on God's precious children and attack them. Anyway, so Reuben, verse 37, says to his father, kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my hands and I will bring him back to you. He's saying, listen, dad, I'm the responsible one. I'm the oldest one. You can kill my two sons. What? <laughs> Reuben's head is still in a very strange place, isn't it? If he thinks by losing Jake, um, Benjamin, Jacob would be appeased by killing his two grandsons. Nonsense. He's got his just head completely in the wrong place but it's like he's he's doing that thing which i hate 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 if i ever hear anyone saying it i rebuke them when they say i swear on the life of my children this is what reuben is saying don't ever swear on the life of anybody if anyone's listening to me please never do that that is the most evil thing we can do it's just inviting the devil to get involved in our family affairs Never swear on the lives of your children or your wife or your granny or whoever. Oh, my. Anyway, Reuben is saying, I swear on the lives of my children, basically, that if we don't bring um, Benjamin back, uh, you know, you can kill them, which is just nuts. But ben, uh, but Jacob said, verse eight, 38, he says, but he said, my son shall not go down with you. For his brother is dead and he is the only one left. Now that is a very rejecting kind of statement because he clearly has the other brothers. But he's saying, you don't even count anymore. You guys, you don't count. The ones that count to me is the one who's dead. And this one, Benjamin, you guys. <laughs> and he said, he's the only one left. If harm should happen to him on the journey that you are to make, you would bring down my grey hairs with sorrow to Sheol. He's saying, if anything happens to him on the way, I will die in sorrow. I'll go to the grave broken. And mind you, he's in that place anyway. So <laughs> this is, oh my, this is a cliffhanger, but I'm not going to spoil it and do a plot spoiler. Here's the, let me just summarize because it's helpful. J, um, Joseph had been sent away as a slave, but he'd been betrayed by his brothers. He had been effectively in lockdown for all of these years, but in that place of incarceration where all his freedoms were gone, all his options had gone, all his choices, it seemed, were taken away from him, he still exercised his choice. He still operated as a man of God and God was with him in everything. God gave him responsibility to run the whole prison. He ends up serving his old boss, living, looking after these two civil servants. He is able, even in the middle of his own suffering and unjust treatment that he's received, he is able to pass to these two guys to notice that they're not doing great in the morning because they've had these dreams. He's then able to go to God and find the interpretation of their dreams. And at the exact right time, God releases him into the full 
uh, I don't know, what should we say, the full remit of his ministry, and he ends up governing a whole nation. But he becomes responsible for um, keeping many, 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 many other surrounding people groups and small nations and cities alive because he's been obedient to God and he's found the wisdom of God. And now God is bringing his dreams to fulfillment one by one. And this is the most incredible story. And I just hope that as we look at these words of scripture, you are getting inspired in your heart that whatever kind of lockdown you've been in, whether it's to do with COVID or to do with something else completely, that God is still watching over his word over your life to perform it. And I bless you in Jesus name to enjoy him today and to find his smile and get yourself under it and live under it in Jesus name. God bless you. Have an amazing day. I am super excited to be able to recommend to you my book, The Christing. It's a whole adventure of digging deep into the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, exploring stories that may be familiar to us, but just seeing how the power and the beautiful, rich treasure of the Holy Spirit is there on every single page. And my desire as I share my own stories is that we would get caught up in that adventure together of a life pursuing the supernatural God where anything becomes possible when we're full of his Holy Spirit. And so my prayer for you as you read this book is that you'll get excited to embark on your own voyage of discovery with him but more than anything else, that you would fall more in love with Jesus. So please, if you have not got a copy, do buy one. You can get it online on all the major um, online bookstores, including Amazon, Eden and others. You can buy it from Christian bookshops. Uh, or you can message me and get your own signed copy. There you go. But do like it and review it because that really, really does help. Thank you so much.